We're talking about forgiveness. How many of you could use better understanding? We all could. I think I said some things last week that really hit home for most of us. And for those, if it didn't hit home, you weren't paying attention. Because uh, if we're honest, we all struggle with forgiveness because we all have emotions and we all can be hurt. And the whole reason we have to forgive is because we have the ability, we're designed to be offended. And you can always tell where forgiveness is the weakest. It's usually where offense is the strongest. And in that regard, we'll say it in my notes here, but I'm getting ahead of myself. Uh, the need to forgive reveals where our weaknesses are. And in that regard, we can kind of rejoice in it. Whenever we can see we need to forgive, that lets us know where we still need to develop and mature. Let me also say that, that offense comes for everybody. If you are breathing, you can be offended. My wife gave me a word of wisdom this week I thought I'd share with you because it makes me giggle. She said this. She saw it somewhere, so she's repeating a matter. She said, everybody picks their nose. It's what we do with the booger afterwards <laughs> that reveals our true character. That's not a thus says the Lord, but it's pretty accurate. One or two of you are looking at me like, I don't pick your nose, to which I say, you're a liar. Do you have a nose? Do you have a finger? You pick your nose. But my point is, if we all pick our nose, it's what we do with the booger that sets us apart from the animals. It's what we do with that booger afterwards. It shows who we really are. We all have the ability to get offended. We all get offended, but it's what we do with that offense afterwards that sets us apart. Do we take that offense and roll it in our finger for a little bit? Do we get a tissue and dispose of the offense quickly? Do we consume the offense? Hmm. It's good preaching already. Yeah. Well, just as soon as we have noses and we have boogers and we have emotions and we have offense. So when we're dealing with the subject of forgiveness, we are dealing with really what do we do when we're offended? And we all will be offended. We all have been offended. Some of us are even offended right now, not at my analogy, but at something that's happened this week. Or probably by the time the service is over, I will give you something new to be offended at. It's part of having a pulse. Amen. Plus, we don't play it safe around here. We deliver the word of God and let people do with it as they would. So let me read a few things I've got written down here. We must be good at forgiveness. The reason we started teaching this is that it was on my heart by the Spirit of God, I believe. But I also was beginning to recognize we're not really as good at forgiveness as we ought to be. And yet we said last week, forgiveness is one of those core tenets that defines Christianity. We're known as the religion of forgiveness. Buddhists aren't known for forgiveness. They're known for meditation. Hindus aren't known for forgiveness. They're known for a thousand gods. Christians are known for forgiveness. My question would then be to you and I, are we known? Is that our reputation that we're quick to forgive? Or are we known for holding grudges? We must be good at forgiveness. If we can't forgive our closest friends, if we can't forgive our spouse, if we can't forgive church family, what are we going to do when the world turns on us and they already are turning on us quicker and quicker? If we can't forgive our spouse... And if we're not quick to receive an I'm sorry from our spouse, what you're going to do in your own marriage is produce a hostility that somebody's going to be the bigger person, unless you're both just like rednecks. Somebody's going to be the bigger person. They're going to fall on the sword, and that marriage is going to grow out of balance. 
And so somebody's going to be the bigger jerk, the other's going to be the bigger person, and at some point, we're going to have to rock the boat and reset the whole thing. If you can't forgive those that are closest to you, those who you know love you, those who know would be there for you, you're not going to stand a chance when the world purposely comes after you. The Bible says a brother is born for adversity, that a brother is born in a hard time, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. We're getting offended at people that love us, and, and what will we do when the world purposely comes after us? So we're going to have to get good at this thing called forgiveness. Forgiveness means that we drop the charges. We kind of defined it last week. Let's review a little bit. We drop the charges. To forgive means you drop the charges. It doesn't mean I just simply say, I forgive you, but it means you drop the charges. And one of the ways you can tell you've truly dropped the charges is that there's no resentment there when you think on the offense. One of the powerful tools of offense is it, it activates our emotions and it swings us in a negative direction. You can tell you've truly got forgiveness working in your life when you, when you go back and visit the matter in your mind and there's no emotional movement. It's just a memory. You're like, ah. Oh. That's when you know. It not, has nothing to do with forgetting. It, it is not biblical to forgive and forget. God has not made us to be stupid creatures. You should have a memory. And that memory will often keep you very safe. Hey, this is the guy that has abused my family five times. Here he is a sixth. I'm not going anywhere near him. It isn't I have forgiven him. I have forgotten who this guy is. Let's walk into the trap again. That's not sanity. That's not reasonable. It's not logical. We're not talking about you forget. That's a bad teaching. It's been around for a long time. You can tell you've really forgiven when you forgot. Well, no, you have to be able to protect yourself in some cases. You have to be able to uh, honestly tell your kids, move away from that person. We don't harbor any animosity, but we can't fix that kid. Ask, I'm going to ask the teacher to move you across the classroom. If we have to, we're going to move you out of the class. So we're not talking about forgetting, but you can tell you've truly forgiven when, when you visit the issue, the matter, the event in your mind. Ah, I remember that. God help me. I feel bad for that person. You can tell you've not forgiven when the thought of it still stirs up resentment. It stirs up bitterness. It stirs up anger. It stirs up vengeance. It stirs up wrath. It stirs up that redneck attitude. I'm going to go get me a pound of flesh. I use the example a lot with the Rolodex. Some of you are old enough to remember Rolodex uh, for you young folks. For what it's worth, this hit me yesterday. The 19-year-old know-it-all social justice warriors, the 19-year-old know-it-all social justice warriors were born in 2005. That is why we don't listen to 19-year-olds at all. I don't care what degree they're working on in college. You were born in 2005. I was starting my second career in 2005. <laughs> you go, the Rolodex used to be these cards that were in a roller outfit, and they were, it was like an index. It was a, a phone book of cards you write down, this person, this person, last name, and you'd roll through it to find M's, N's, O's, P's. You know how the alphabet works if you're uh, not public schooled. You know how the alphabet works. <laughs> and you'd find your name of the person, and there are a lot of different ways to set up a Rolodex, but that's how it worked. What I used to do 20 years ago or so when I was learning how to try to get the victory over offenses, I would take a Rolodex in, in my heart and go down the row of people in my church. I think about Steve-O. What's that do on the inside of me? Oh, I love Steve-O. What a brother. Jeff and Kimberly. Man, they're such joyful people. They make you feel important. There's Kamal. Who doesn't love Kamal? Gotta love Kamal. She's our only Indian. You have to love Kamal. 
If you love her more, you pronounce it Kumal because that's apparently how we do it. The rest of us just butcher it. And then there's Miss Barb. Ugh, 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 All right, evidently I got a problem. Then there's Maddie, sweet Maddie, sweet Maddie. And then Mackenzie. Oh, who doesn't love Miss Mackenzie? All right, let's start back over. Steve-o. Oh, I love Steve-o. The Kings. What a delightful couple. Kumal. Kumal. She makes me gulab jamun and mango lassies. You got to love her. Miss Barr. Ah. 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 What is it about that old white lady? Ah. <laughs> That's how you go through your heart, thinking on things and watching what your heart does. So you go through all the events that you've ever been offended at, and you can judge how well you've truly forgiven by what your heart says when you're there again. It's not about forgetting. God doesn't want you to forget. We're trying too hard to remember things. Why would you start trying to forget things? Yeah. So don't ever let forgetfulness be a measure of your forgiveness. Let the emotional response be a measure, a metric. And, and, even in my own life, all the times I've been offended, I go back, even as a pastor, all the families we helped that left us and betrayed us, I can honestly say I go back and visit that situation, and my heart says, I hope they're doing okay. And I visit this person, oh, they went through like two divorces and drug rehab after they left us. Man, I hope they're doing okay. You got to be able to be honest with where, what your heart says when you go visit the old offenses, because that's a true measure of forgiveness. We drop the charges, we let the guilty go free in our heart. That's forgiveness in a nutshell. Forgiveness does not permit us to go and teach them a lesson they'll never forget. Oh, I forgive them, and I'm going to go teach them a lesson they'll never... Why are you the one to teach them that lesson? Because that sounds a lot like vengeance. No, forgiveness is I drop the charges, and I'll let somebody... I commend them to the grace of God, which frees you up to move on. Nothing to see here. Go away. Let God do it. Why do we always have to be the ones that teach them a lesson they'll never forget? I'm going to teach them a lesson their grandbabies never forget. They're not even married yet. That's how hard the lesson's going to be. Even the grandkids will know not to mess with us. Oh, now we sound like Hatfield and McCoy's. Oh, they're going to learn. You don't mess with McMichaels. Uh-uh. I can't do it. I'm too white. <laughs> I can't do... I can't appropriate the other culture. There's something that's just, yeah. <laughs> Forgiveness does not authorize us to correct anybody. That is often the voice of hurt, fear, and defensiveness talking. It's been my observation helping people. When we want to go correct somebody after we've been hurt, it might, not every time, but a lot of times that's the voice of hurt, fear, and defensiveness talking, and you got to get your pound of flesh. But forgiveness doesn't permit us to get anything but free. And we covered this last week because, and we'll say it here in a minute, we, we don't want just to forgive. We want vengeance. That's kind of our culture. It's also the flesh. But our uh, America, we're, we're big. We're brash. We have a lot of bravado. It isn't just eye for an eye. I mean, if you think about hitting me in the eye, I want to burn your house down. That's not even Mosaic law. That's something even Hammurabi's code in the ancient world said, that's not right. How would you like... Uh, Hammurabi and the Babylonians of 4,000 uh, BC or 4,000 years ago look at you and go, that's a little excessive there, Christian. Yeah. I mean, to think Hammurabi would stand in judgment of and say, and say you guys need to lo loosen up. You got to chill out. We didn't even permit eye for, uh, more than an eye for an eye in Babylon 2,000 years before Christ. So why do we think we're better as Christians 
to preemptively strike. Forgiveness doesn't mean we deny the pain or the offense. It simply means we extend mercy. So forgiveness is one of the ways we can be like our God and extend mercy even when it's not warranted. And we shouldn't wait for an apology to forgive. Well, I'll forgive them when they say they're sorry. You don't get how this works. We forgive even if they never say I'm sorry. We forgive even if they look at us and double down on the insult. It's a redneck mindset. It's hills and hollers of white trash Tennessee that says I ain't forgiven until they say I'm sorry. That's not our God. That's not our kingdom culture. That's hurt. That's pain. That's you having a higher standard than God. And if he does more than that for us, then we ought to do it when we deserve judgment ourselves. We forgive for many reasons. So let me give you seven reasons if you want to write seven down. There might be eight or nine. As I was studying and meditating and praying about this, I came up with seven. Nothing magical about that. I'm not really big into biblical numerology. I think it gets really goofy. It's a charismatic trap. Don't mess with it. If you can't forgive, stay away from numbers. I mean, <laughs> you hung up on numbers, make sure you tithe first. That's 10%. Some of you forget what that number looks like, so don't study all these other mystical numbers in the Bible. Some of you can't even get the Trinity down. That's only three. Three, 10, that's all you need to know. Church, this gets a little bit more difficult. We're at 5, 7, 9, 13, and 15 West Broad. That's a little hard to remember. Our number is 528-1305. Been that number for 40 years. Those numbers are important, too, if this is your home church. Other than that, 3, the Trinity, 10, 10%. And our service times are 9.30, 10.30, and 6 p.m. <laughs> and they've been that way for 40 years. Some of you still forget that we're at 9.30, 10.30, and 6 p.m. Because you come in 15 minutes late. Though your house has been where it's at as long as we've been here. It's because you're lazy and ill-prepared. But that's another sermon altogether. And this is where you practice forgiveness. <laughs> Reason number one, we forgive. God commands us to command. Ephesians 4.32 says, forgive one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven us. We forgive because it's a commandment. It doesn't have to be how you feel. It's a commandment that doesn't even ask how your emotions are doing. It's a commandment. There's no footnote that says, with the following exceptions. Unless this, 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 this. No, it says just forgive. And honestly, it starts with one another. Ephesians 4, 30. Forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. So we got to start with a local church. I do find it interesting that in every church, there's always going to be one or two people in here you can't stand. <laughs> Why are you laughing, Chad? Because <laughs> it's true, isn't it? It's true. And those two people are God's sacred gift to your life. Because they show you where you can still be rubbed the wrong way. They show you where you still have some pride and some thin skin and some emotional immaturity. And the two people you don't like, somebody else adores. So we have very little overlapping of the two people that irritate you. And then think about you. You have two people. I have 250 people. That's not true. There's only three of you I don't like. We'll teach on vain imaginations tonight as you try to figure out who those. <laughs> That's not true. Every, everybody in here gets on my nerves at some point or another. Everybody in here I absolutely love and adore at some point or another. And sometimes they're on the same day and sometimes they're halfway through the same service. And just pray for me. That's all we're saying is pray for me. Number two, we forgive because it glorifies God. Jesus said in John 14, if you love me, keep my commandments. What's the commandment? See, point one. We're commanded to forgive. If we love Jesus, we'll forgive people. And I want you to also understand forgiveness isn't always a once and done prayer. 
If Pedro sins against me, and depending on how egregious it is, I might have to pray and release him a thousand times in a month. Anytime my mind thinks on it, oh, Lord, I, nope, mm, I forgive Pedro. I drop the charges. Nope, I'm not picking those charges up. I'm letting him go. I love him. That's my brother in Christ. He's Puerto Rican. There's a different culture there. I don't know why he said what he said, but I refuse to be offended at him. He's my brother. And you may have to do that a hundred times a day and train your mind to just let go. So I don't want you to think, well, I tried it once and it didn't work. It's not about trying it once. You do it till it sticks. But like I said, the offense is really good because it shows us where we have leaks in our system. Whenever we're offended, it always shows us where something is not lined up fully with the word of God. And for years around here, my, my running verse, my joke verse, so it's not a joke, is Psalm 119, 165. Great peace have they which love the law and nothing offends them. So there is a place you can get in Christ where you love the Bible so much, it becomes near impossible to actually offend you. We're not there yet. But the solution is loving the word of God more. And the offense is typically an emotional thing activated by a logical remembrance. But if I can also use my logic to say, you know what, they're a human too. I need them to forgive me. They didn't mean it. Maybe they're having a bad day. Maybe they don't mean anything by it. I'm just going to cut them some slack. You can use logic to diffuse the emotional flare up. And at the same time, say, Lord, I forgive them. I release them. I refuse. No, you can't convince me, devil. Emotions, we're not going to hold charges against this person. It's not worth it to me. And it glorifies God. That's why we do it. Point three, we forgive because it is just. It is the righteous thing to do. Why is it just? Because freely we have received, therefore freely we must give. If we've received, freely received forgiveness, then we have no recourse but to freely give it. We read the parable last week from Matthew 18 about <clears throat> the unjust servant. And he's called the unjust servant in theology. He owed what we said like hundreds of tons of silver. And he begged for mercy, and, and his Lord just forgave him everything. Clemency, pardoned him. But then he turns around and goes after his fellow servant for a day's laborer's wage of debt. And it says, he casts him into the prison till all is repaid. And then the master comes and hears about it and says, you wicked and unjust servant, you should have forgiven as I forgave you. Now you'll be turned over to the tormentors until all is repaid. And the word tormentor is uh, inquisitor. You'll be tortured until the truth comes out. Tortured until you fess up. I, that's, that's worse than a debtor's prison. That's a torture prison. Until your family can get your debt paid off, you're going to be tortured every day. How long does it take a family, a mama, and three kids to raise 500 tons of silver? It's not a pretty picture. And then we have folks who think they're nicer than Jesus. These are the teachings of Jesus. And he said, the power of unforgiveness is your family's going to suffer because of you. For that reason alone, that may be number eight, we forgive for our family's sake. Number four, we forgive because it allows us to receive forgiveness. Now, I want to look at these verses real quick. I said we'd do this last night, and we have other scriptures we're going to look at, but I'm going through a review. We, we forgive because according to the teachings of Jesus Christ, if we don't forgive, we cannot be forgiven. A lot of folks don't like that concept. Hyper grace says we're already forgiven. You can live any way you want to. That's heresy. The teachings of Jesus say that if we don't forgive, we can't be forgiven. If we don't release the charges, we don't have our charges released. I need my charges released. I'm not going to hang on to you to watch us both fail. I'm going to let go of you so that I can rise to the surface and maybe you'll follow after me. 
Hypergrace also does teach that hypergrace is those folks that say grace covers everything. You can live any way you want to. The hypergrace teachers in the body of Christ also now teach don't read the red letters. If there isn't anything more blatantly blasphemous than don't read the red letters, I don't know what it is. So turn with me real quick, a couple verses, Matthew 6, 15. Actually, verse 6, 14. If you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Matthew 6, 14 and 15. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. That's the Sermon on the Mount. That's the beginning of Jesus' teachings in his ministry. Look at Matthew 18, 35. We, we covered this last week. Matthew 18, 35. So likewise shall also shall my heavenly Father do unto you if you from your hearts forgive not every one his brother their trespasses. 18.35. Likewise what? He'll deliver you to the tormentors. Jesus says, my Father will deliver you to the tormentors if you don't from your hearts forgive every one of his brother their trespasses. So forgiveness, here's a, a side note worth writing down. Forgiveness has to be done in the heart. That's why I teach that concept of the Rolodex. You go into your heart and you say, all right, Schmitty offended me six months ago. I haven't really talked to him much, haven't been able to. But now when I think about Schmitty, what does my heart say? Ugh, don't want to go talk to him. Still have unforgiveness there. You can tell you've truly forgiven from the heart when you think about Schmitty and you're like, man, we need to go get some coffee. I miss fellowshipping with him. I know he was a moron six months ago, made a mess for all of us, but I love him. He worships God. He's apologized 50 times, 300 texts. I guess it's about time. He's been, out, he's been in purgatory. He's been in McMichael purgatory long enough. Yeah, I think, I feel like he's suffered enough. I think he's made up for what Christ was lacking for on the cross. I think I'll let him back in my life, which is how we do it, which is why it's blasphemous. That's why we, I, I teach that concept of the Rolodex. You go through your heart. How do I feel about this person I was mad at six months ago, six weeks ago? That way we can make sure we're nowhere near being turned over to the tormentors till we repay all that is due us. And truthfully, what has Christ paid for us? That's the debt we're due. How long would it take us to repay the price of Jesus Christ on Calvary's cross? And to be tormented till we repay that? Is it possibly a vision of hell? It would take eternity to pay back the debt Christ redeemed us from. Uh, Mark 11, 25 and 26, famous passage. If you're a faith person or came through the faith revivals, Mark 11, 25, and when you stand praying, forgive. So unforgiveness is something that can prevent our prayers from coming to pass. When you stand praying, forgive, if you have aught against any. That again, judge your heart. Not your face, not your smile, not your Christian hypocrisy or Southern tradition and smile and chintzy facade. Judge your heart. If you have aught in your heart that is angst, ill will, unforgiveness, if you have aught against any, that your Father also which is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father which is in heaven forgive your trespasses. So in where, this what this tells me, and this has been my experience also, when I go to prayer and I'm seeking God, one of the things he seems to always bring up is any offense I have towards anybody. Because I'm wanting something from God. You're standing praying for something. By stand, it means persevering in prayer. And you're wondering, Lord, why isn't this happening? The natural recourse should be, Lord, show me, is, am, I, am I a problem here? Is there some unforgiveness in my life here? All right, Lord, show me who it is. 
Then you start going through the Rolodex. Maybe we all keep a Rolodex of people that we've had to forgive and we visit that. There's some folks you'll never have to forgive. They, they could do no wrong in your life, which shows you how fickle your heart is. Sometimes we get offended because the person saying it isn't our favorite color. That's called racist. So you keep a Rolodex in your heart of everybody that's ever offended you, and maybe you visit it. Are we truly free? Has that debt truly been paid, and then have I let them go? This is something we need to look at when we're believing God for something and it isn't happening. Always judge yourself as to who you might have ought against because that's what Jesus said. And when you stand praying, actually verse 24 says, whatsoever things you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. Well, what if I'm not having them? Verse 25 says, well, maybe it's because there's unforgiveness. Verse 25 answers why you may not have what you're praying and believing God for. All right, Luke 6, 37. We could stay there longer, but we want to move on. Actually, 636. Be ye therefore merciful, as your Father also is merciful. Judge not, and you shall not be judged. Condemn not, you shall not be condemned. Forgive, and you shall be forgiven. Forgive, and you shall be forgiven. And then last verse, you can just write these down. 11.4, Luke 11.4. I want to show you this concept that we forgive because it, it sets us up. It allows us to receive the forgiveness God wants to give us. The Lord's Prayer says, And forgive us our sins... For we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. Forgive us our sins because we're forgiving everybody in our life, which is another way of saying Matthew 18, 35. All right, a lot of notes here. Verse, uh, point number five, we forgive because it sets us free both from God's judgment and from our soulish exhaustion. When you and I harbor unforgiveness, we're, what we're doing is we're trying to become judge, jury, and executioner in the matter of our offense. When we harbor unforgiveness, we are appointing ourselves to be judge, that was wrong, jury, they're guilty, executioner, I'm gonna teach them a lesson. That's exhausting. You wake up every morning and that offense defines your life. You drive through town and you're afraid to see somebody because of the unforgiveness. You don't wanna go to a uh, birthday party or a family reunion because of the harbored unforgiveness. It's exhausting. We end up playing a lot of unnecessary avoidance because we won't forgive. The other thing we do in this modern era is we're not just judge, jury, and executioner when it comes to offense. We also become the media, and we propagate our story. we got to tell everybody, can you believe what happened to me? They weren't even asking, but you're going to talk about it. News at 11. Schmidt Motson attacks the McMichaels. That's told by the McMichaels. And you propagate it, you put it on social media, you talk to everybody, anybody you can get an audience with, you start relating what we used to call around here your sad song, somebody done me wrong song. And you sing the same old song. Before long, that's all you're known for. And nobody wants to be around you because you're always you're harping on it. You're like, dude, that's 1983. I don't remember what I did in 1983, but you remember what Schmitty did to you in 83. You got to drop this. Go on. Don't you know Schmitty's been dead 22 years? He don't even remember what he did. Everybody else, we can't even forget because you won't let us forget. Just shut up and move on. When you die, we're going to put it on your tombstone. Hung up on Schmitty's Offense 83. Don't be like this dead dude. We forgive because it sets us free from soulish exhaustion. Number six, it removes an enemy's influence off of us. Not the enemy, but an enemy. If you can't be offended, your enemy has no power over you. If you can't be offended... That action doesn't touch you anymore. 
it, it irritates your enemy. Some, sometimes we're offended and the person who offends us didn't mean it. You got to be able to recognize that and grow up. Then there's times we're going to be attacked and it's going to be an intentional assault. And if you can forgive them and drop the charges and even tell them as much, you're going to strip them of any weapon they have. You're going to strip them of any authority, any power, any leverage, and they're going to really move on because they see that you don't pay any attention to it. It removes an enemy's influence off of you. Other on top of that, if we were to get a little spiritual, the devil knows exactly what offends you. And he will always make sure there's somebody in your life to lob that fiery dart to decommission your advancement. Every ship, every vehicle has a weak spot. So does every human being. And when we get offended over the same thing over and over again, the enemy's going to mark that down and say, look at them getting promoted in Christ. Look at them grow. It's time for a projectile. Aim for the tires. Aim for the tailpipe. Aim for the transmission. It always decommissions them for six to 12 weeks. I would hate to live and the enemy know my weakness and I get a momentum going and he just trips me up. You love it at sporting events, the hecklers. We're surrounded by a spirit realm of hecklers who try to get in our head. And I really commend the, the athletes. They just tune it all out. They got pictures of their mama. You know, they're sitting there behind the goalpost or whatever. They're just heckling them, yelling at them, air horning, just anything they can to get in their head. And they just zone out and shoot the free throw. They zone out and kick the field goal. They zone out and hit the home run. Anything they can do. And yet we're not that disciplined. How come pagan sports stars are focused and we're not? What heckles you? What heckle succeeds in your life? Master forgiveness so that you say, that doesn't touch me, man. It doesn't touch me at all. Number seven, then we're going to move on. We forgive because it builds our walk with God. This is because it's going to take his help to forgive these areas. We forgive because it makes us like God. It builds our walk with him because you're going to say, God, I need help. That thing Pedro did seven years ago is flaring up in my mind again. Lord, help me forgive him. Help me love him. Help me forgive him. I drop the charges. I pray for Pedro. I pray for Schmitty. I pray for Miss Barb. All these people in my church, all these people who go to my church, all these people I don't like at my church, we're not even talking about your enemies yet. All these people I serve God with at the altar. I pray for them. I, Lord, I don't know how you love them. Help me try to love them a little bit. See how self-righteous that sounds? And we do it in our heart all the time. Dylan, let's throw Romans chapter 12 up. We're going to look at this in the New Living Translation. We're going to cover a lot of different facets over the next few weeks with forgiveness. I want us to be really good at it. Jesus said, they will know you when you love each other. They'll know you by their, your love. And so in a local church, we've got to make sure we have smooth fellowship, that we don't get offended at each other, that we're able to take inventory of what offends us, why we have thin skin in that area, why people get under your, your skin. All these expressions we have, my favorite is, they get my goat. We've talked about when somebody gets your goat. It's a reference to horse racing. Horses are really nervous in stall after stall after stall waiting for a race. But they find if you put a goat in that stall with the horse, it puts the horse at peace. I don't know why a goat's a horse's best friend is a goat. But to sabotage your friends at a race, you would sneak in at night and steal their goat. So that became the expression, who got your goat? Who stole your peace? So if we can pinpoint what gets our goat... We could forgive a lot easier. And I imagine the presence of God is a, be a much better goat than a goat is. Right. He said, the presence of God is a much greater soother than having a billy goat in bed with you. 
I mean, some of you married a billy goat, but it's too late now, so they get on your nerves. Romans chapter 12, verse 17, New Living Translation. Never pay back evil with more evil. That, unfortunately, is the American way. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. This is kind of what forgiveness looks like. We never repay evil with more evil. More. That's the, that's the rules of escalation our culture teaches us to live by. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. King James says, if it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. It's not always possible, but do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. There's always going to be that belligerent coworker, that professor, that neighbor, that no matter what you do, you just can't seem to win them. I would encourage you to try to win them. Try to win that stubborn neighbor. Try to win that nasty coworker. Do what you can because you got to work with them. And the, the only other recourse is to be bitter back. And if you're bitter back, then they have influenced you and you've not influenced them. They've proselytized you. You've not proselytized them. Don't let anything they say, not their crassness, not their rudeness, don't let it phase you. Almost act like you have like social low IQ and you just can't even, you don't even realize you're the butt of their jokes. Just take it in stride. Why get so thin-skinned and offended? Do what you can to win people. The reason they're belligerent is they're miserable human beings and have never known any true friend. Maybe you can be that true friend. Amen. College is a great place to practice this, but so is the job. Verse 19, dear friends, never take revenge. That would, we'd all be guilty. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge, I will pay them back, says the Lord. Now, to me, this is fascinating. Paul quotes Mosaic law to teach us how to forgive. So I guess if we want to learn how to forgive, we've got to read the law. But I thought we were free from the law. Well, that's how most Christians live, free from having to forgive. Because the law establishes how to forgive. He says, let, the, let God repay. You don't do it. Drop the charges. Verse 20. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, now he quotes Proverbs. If your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. And doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. A lot of different interpretations of that. Uh, ancient custom of providing heat for your enemy or heat for someone in their turban where you'd put a sensor of coals. I don't know about that. I think I mentioned that last week. One of the better interpretations I've said is that it is an allegory of that. When you are good to an enemy, it shames them that they could be such a jerk to you and you just smile and love them back. I like that interpretation. You're not literally burning somebody or setting them on fire. You're like, yeah, I'm going to stoke that fire. The Bible says I can burn you <laughs> physically. No, you be so good to them, they're ashamed that they could possibly be that rude. I think I told you uh, back in the summer, we were, we were out in Iowa for a conference. It's August. We're out in Iowa in a conference, and I've got two of my kids and one of the Pastor Chase's daughters. I don't remember which daughter. And well, you, you were in the car, and I somehow cut this guy off totally on accident, trying to use my signal. No, he came over in front of me and he was drifting and I just honked at him so he didn't cut me off and hurt both of us. Then I pulled ahead of him because he was kind of swerving. I pulled ahead of him, wanted to get ahead of him. I pulled over in front of him and then saw the car in front of me was slamming on his brakes. So I cut back. Well, this did not settle well with this guy. He probably didn't like being honked at. Then he thought I was messing with him by trying to cut him off. So for the next two miles, he keeps pulling up. We're in traffic. We're going to church. I got three church girls in the back. My wife, we're dressed up for church. And this guy's a big old angry construction dude, big old dually truck. And he's yelling blankety blank, 
talking about my mama and wanting me to flipping me off. You want to fight? You want to fight? Let's go fight. And I'm like, oh, Lord. Honestly, I didn't even have this fight in me. I think I had a pistol in the car, but not even thinking about that. Like, we need to really de-escalate this quickly. That went, wow. And then all of a sudden, I mean, this is, we're going, and I'm trying to get away from my wife, won't even look at him. She's like, you know, don't look. He'll go away. This is how it works. I can't see him. He can't see us. Just drive. And I'm like, oh. So then all of a sudden I look up, and we're both going to come to a stoplight. And you know how it goes. You're counting cars. Oh, we're going to be parallel. Nothing to do here. There's a big curb. Can't jump that. So I roll down the window and I say, sir, you want to fight? Blah, 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 blah. I'm like, oh, my children are hearing very colorful words. And the pastor's kid, who's not my kid. I said, sir, I apologize. I said, I honked because I didn't want you to drift over and hit us. I've got three kids in the back. We're going to church. And, and then when I got over, I was, I'm not trying to be a jerk. I'm not trying. I'm sorry. I apologize. And he went, oh, I'm sorry. Have a good day. Is that how it was? That's how it was. And I was like, we could have both died. We could have killed children. And all it took was a, hey, man, I am so sorry. I'm not trying to be a jerk. I, that was total misunderstanding. And I'm like, you need help, dude. dude. Like, I, said, I wanted to make sure he knew I had three kids in the back. He was ready to fight. We were going to pull over to the playground and fight. He was motioning. Huh. Go back to this verse. Don't, verse 21, don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. How can we de-escalate things and then show the goodness of God when our human tendency and our cultural tendency is to retaliate with tactical airstrikes? And even if it isn't military, we have social media and we have our influence to move and leverage against people, especially in small towns like this small little pocketed regions like ours, we can burn people's reputation in the ground because it's such a tight-knit community. But then again, those that would believe it show how shallow they are too. We said this last week. In legal matters, the law only permitted retribution of equality. Let's read this in the New Living Translation. Dylan, let's go to Exodus 21. I want to read this. We quoted it last week. I want us to see it with our own eyes. I like the New Living Translation on this. I've been quoting to you out of King James. We have looked at some King James. Exodus 21, 23. It reads this. But if there is further injury, the punishment must match the injury. We don't believe that. When we're offended, when we're angry, and if we have any vengeance in us, we don't really want to even do the Mosaic law, which we all think is archaic. We want to break it. We don't want a punishment that matches the injury. We don't want a life for a life. We don't want an eye for an eye. We don't want a tooth for a tooth. No, we don't want a hand for a hand, a foot for a foot, a burn for a burn, a wound for a wound, a bruise for a bruise. No, 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 no. If you hit me, I burn your house down. If you insult me, I destroy your career. You insult my wife, I'll destroy your children. We escalate quickly. Can you bear witness with that? That's in our cultural DNA. It may be human culture to human nature, but and maybe not everybody here. Some folks just want to live at peace, but that, that machismo, that macho, that aggression that is in our culture is, listen, don't do this. I will come for you so hard. Well, the, the law restrained you. And so, no, it, it has to be equal. I, I, was, I kind of quoted it last week or shared it. Uh, 
when I was in high school, lived in Seattle. I was 14. I was molested by a deacon in our church. Now, it wasn't rape or sodomy, but it was molestation. And uh, I harbored it for a long time. Finally, after about a year, told my parents. And I had to say, I don't know what compelled me to. I think it's one of the things that kept me safe. But I remember sitting down with my mom and dad in our little living room area. And I told them that so-and-so did this to me. He violated me. And I remember my mama being a good mama, and I don't blame her. She might be streaming. And to this day, I, I think I'm thankful I had her in my corner. She said, did that man rape you? And I was like, well, no, no. She said, if that blankety blank raped you, I would get your father's shotgun, and I will murder that blankety blank. And I was like, whoa, um, no, 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 no. We're not murdering anybody today, but that's a mama bear. You hurt my boy? I don't care if we've been friends. I don't care if we've been on your boat. I don't care if we've been to your beach house. I don't care if we've gone snow skiing together, all of which we did together as families. My mom was like, I will take your father's shotgun and I will gut you. But the law doesn't permit that. A personal sexual violation does not necessitate murder. Now, a rape would, that's under the law. Any rape is punishable under the old covenant by stoning or execution. But this wasn't that. But not, again, to belittle my mom, that's, that's in us. That's tendency. I want to rip your head off and let your children drink from your skull. It's God's honest truth. Is that right, dads? Mm-hmm. Everybody, we gotta, you, you women don't understand how much we fight those kind of feelings in protection of our own family. You may not have said that exact word, like, oh, it's a little aggressive. Ugh. Oh, Republicans abort babies and do research on their tissue. That's why I'm not much of a Republican. Of course, the Democrats fund the abortions the Republicans make money off of. That's why I'm not a Democrat at all. That aside, after the molestation, I was still dealing with a lot of uh, emotions, as you can imagine, and, and we confronted the family, and that wasn't enough for me because nobody taught me to forgive. So from that point, I began daydreaming about comeuppance. And a lot of it was murderous, even as a 17-year-old kid. The event was three years in the past. Even at 17, I daydreamed of murder. And I, my dad had a kayak, a whitewater kayak. So when I was 17, I broke my leg, couldn't do anything. I would take my dad's kayak out to the lake this guy lived on, and I would kayak and just run laps on it. It was about a, a mile-long lake, but something I did to stay in shape. So I had whitewater kayak on a flatwater lake. But I, would, I knew how to get to his house so I would daydream about taking my dad's kayak out in the night, breaking in the house and killing him because he violated me. It wasn't sodomy, but he still violated me. When you're 17 and you're daydreaming about murder, there's issues. Well, then I graduated high school, went to college, started doing jujitsu for the sole purpose of how to destroy somebody. And every time I learned how to dislocate a shoulder or hyperextend an elbow or do a hip dislocation or, or a key lock or something, I would revisit the lake in my dad's kayak go across the lake, visit this man, do jujitsu to every major joint, and leave him as a broken ragdoll on the beach of his boathouse. I visited that daydream many, 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 many times. That isn't an eye for an eye. That's a destroyed life for a moment of violence. And so it was February of 95, I was coming back from jujitsu, it was cold, and I just learned how to do a forward roll into a shoulder dislocation. And I was putting that back into the plot, the script. I was writing this script called My Vengeance, called You Will Never Touch Me Again. But I'm 3,000 miles away. It's never going to happen. But because I don't have forgiveness kicking, this is what I daydream about. 
So I was daydreaming about that kayak across the lake, Lake Meridian, to the boathouse, bringing them to the front, the backyard, which faces the lake, and just dislocating every joint, breaking every elbow, dislocating the hips, breaking the knees, crushing the wrists and the ankles, leaving them as a broken rag doll. I'm daydreaming about this, and I step up on the, on the sidewalk at Browning Evans' dorm, and I hear, I'm not serving God, I'm a backslidden Baptist boy, and I hear a voice from heaven speak from, from the heavens, from like where the stars come from, and this voice says, as I'm daydreaming about destroying my molester, the voice says, if it were not for the blood of my son Jesus Christ, you would be a homosexual today. That's all it said. And I instantly knew, in fact, I stopped and I said, well, I guess I got to forgive him. I, I don't know how I knew that. I guess I got to forgive him. Nobody told me to forgive him. That's what, I, that's what the interpretation of that was. If it were not for, because I've been saved since I was seven. This happened when I was 14. This also gives me great insight into the creation of homosexuality. That's my truth. So therefore it is ironclad and off limits for your criticism. The next thing I said is, I wonder what the blood of Jesus is, because I had never been taught about it that I could remember. Even as a 17-year-old, the instinctive sin nature is, I'm going to destroy every one of your major joints and leave you a handicap because you touched me on a backpacking trip. And that same sin nature courses through every one of us. And yet, the, I believe it was the Heavenly Father, God Almighty, speaking to me as a backslidden 18-year-old. And the takeaway was forgive. And I dropped all the charges in my heart. Never daydreamed about it again. It was the easiest thing I ever had to forgive. After that, there was another guy I had to forgive. His name was, he's a Korean kid from high school named June, J-O-O-N. I had to forgive him. That took a little bit longer. June, I used to think about, and I'd make a fist. Before long, I just prayed for him all the time. God bless these guys. Let them get right with you. We, we don't want eye for an eye. We want a pound of flesh. And then it honestly goes worse than that. We don't want a punishment that fits the injury. We want prevent, preemptive vengeance. You even think about doing me wrong, I'm going to burn you. I'm going to get them before they can get me. My daddy taught me to get them before they get you. If they even think about hitting you, you hit them hard first. Knock them down. Make them think twice about it. Who gave you the authorization to teach? And truth be told, most of our injuries are only hurt feelings anyway. A bulk of our offense is a hurt feeling. There are those egregious things. Even my molestation is not as severe as a rape or a sodomy or domestic violence. And I'm not, that's, that's one of my, that's a minor story in my opinion. It's wrong. The guy should be in jail. I've thought a hundred times about calling the police, whatever. I don't even know what the statute of limitations in Washington state is. He guy made me dead. But a bulk of our offense, a bulk of the things we have to forgive over is simply an emotional hurt, an emotional hurt in the safety of this nation, in the prosperity of this nation. We're so bored, we find something to die for, as if we hadn't already been given the gospel worth dying for. So some of our examples of escalated vengeance, we start giving cold shoulders and avoid people in church. That's escalated we just avoid people. You know what that does to our worship? When five people in here won't even talk to another five people in here because of what? Because you're so right. It hurts the spirit of God. How about social media slander and even death threats over what? A post you disagreed with? 
I've been invited to be on a podcast in a few weeks, and I'm very mindful that if I don't say things right, we could get a lot of hate mail as a church. Over what? A disagreement? I'm going to be interviewed as a theologian. I'm going to give God's orthodoxy on a subject. And if I don't say things just right, we're going to get a bunch of insecure people who are thumb warriors, going to leverage hate speech, probably blow up our phone or something. It's one of the reasons we're not on social media. I don't hang out where weird people do. Road rage. That's a great example. Shootings over a poor turn single signal or a middle finger. Murderous thoughts in exchange for what kind of violation? We truly struggle with our pride or ego when we've been offended. We love vengeance movies where the bad guy gets his comeuppance, usually with compounded interest. The things that necessitate our forgiveness are good for us because they reveal where our souls still lack maturity. Offense exposes where we lack. Offense exposes where we are weak, where we're immature, where we're insecure, where we're prideful, and where we're defiant. These offenses can be used for our own betterment. Even though there are shortcomings, they reveal our shortcomings. Again, to use the racial thing, you can call me cracker, white bread, cottontail, snowflake, wasp, white Anglo-Saxon Protestant. Guilty. It's not my fault. It's God's fault. Take it up with him. You can call me those things. I've not been conditioned to be offended by those. Call my kids all those things. Look at that little B.A. white girl. How many times you get called that on the basketball court, Nick? A little B.A. white boy. That's not racist. But you know what? Your parents didn't teach you to be offended by sticks and stones or words. So we don't have to deal with that. We have other things we deal with. They show you where you've been trained to put power and faith outside of God's word. So we use them. We use the offense. We use the, the, the practice of forgiveness to strengthen ourselves for the glory of God. A wise person does anyway. A weak person just stays offended at the same thing over and over and over and over and over again. Why be that dumb? Why not improve? If you keep getting tripped up on something, figure out what you're tripping and move it. So we got a couple questions, and I'm going to show you one more verse. I think we'll be done here in about five, ten minutes. Here's my questions. What still offends you? What still requires your forgiveness? It's a hypothetical question. Answer it for yourself. Sometimes it's your spouse. Sometimes it's your kids. Uh, when our kids were much younger, I remember the first time one of our daughters said something hurtful to mommy. It hurt Manda. I think one of the kids was three or four, and they said, I don't like you, mommy. And it hurt Manda. She'd never heard that, heard that thing from one of her own children. It didn't hurt me a bit. And Manda said, why are you not hurt by that? Because it's a three-year-old child. I don't know. I don't really trust anything they say. So I don't take it personal. But it hurt her. She has since learned to just let it roll off her because these are children developing. They're going to say dumb things. I wish you were never my mommy. Okay, go sleep in the backyard. That's how I would deal with it. Wish you were never my daddy. All right, give me everything back. Naked to the backyard you go. Maybe the wolves will adopt you. What? Well, if I was never your daddy, you have nothing. I love you, Daddy. Yeah, I thought so. <laughs> what topics or events still hurt you? What things can't be talked about? What can't be discussed? What is off limits? What have you put a minefield around your life concerning? And you just dare anybody to come there. These are areas that would probably trigger us and we need to forgive. But rather than having to forgive there again, let's fix some stuff. 
what still regularly requires you to exercise the free gift of forgiveness? Where are you still having to forgive over and over and over again? Forgiveness ought to be the easiest thing we do. When somebody comes to us and say, hey, I need to repent to you, you ought to say, I forgive you. What's up? Without even having to have an explanation. I forgive you. What's up? What's, what's going on? Because you lead with forgiveness. You don't require an explanation. If they're coming to you with repentance, that takes a lot of humility. The forgiveness already should be extended there. That's maturity. We're not always good at it, but we at least aim for it. Where do you still feel the need to be defensive? And maybe we might say self-righteous or self-vindicated. What still gets your goat? Just makes me so mad. I was doing all right till I heard this. Where, where are those areas in our lives? We need to evaluate this because we want to lie down in peace. We want to wake up in peace. Somebody was just telling me yesterday, last night after the webinar, they said, uh, Pastor, I've had to quit watching the news because all this talk of illegal, illegal immigration has really hurt my heart. It was something that for them, they recognized they were not able to walk in love just seeing all this corruption at the border and all this illegality of people coming in, some genuine, some not. And I get it. I said, well, good. Have you turned off TV? I can't watch the news anymore. Good for you. Dry that thing up. What makes you want to fight? What makes you want to cry? What makes you just want to quit? Uh, these are areas that when they trigger us, we have to forgive, but we can see it on the, before it happens. What's still causing this? Me want to, just want to fight. So the Bible says you can't promote a striker someone who's eager to get into an agitating attitude. You can't use those people in leadership because when you deal with God's people, they're always going to make you want to fight regularly because it's God's people. So you have to be bigger than that. Final question, final verse. What events cause you to walk around and make your own case? Proverbs 17, 9. Let's look at that in the Amplified first. I don't know if we have that. I'll just read it to you from the Amplified. This verse is worth writing down. Proverbs 17, 9. What events cause you to walk around and make your own case? Where, where do you feel like you got to go defend yourself? We don't do that for everything, but sometimes we kind of know we're wrong, but we got to walk around and promote where, where we're involved, involved in an event so people will be on our side. And that's an event where you've been offended and you've not to yet forgive because when you've forgiven, you don't even talk about it. If I've dropped the charges against Schmitty, what Schmitty did doesn't get talked about. Not today, not tomorrow, not ever, unless it comes up as an example. And then I'm going to cover his name so that nobody thinks less of him. Here's Proverbs 17, 9 in the Amplified. He who covers and forgives an offense seeks love. He who covers and forgives an offense seeks love. But he who repeats or gossips about a matter separates intimate friends. He who covers versus he who repeats and keeps talking about it. That's amplified. NLT, which is one we can look at. Oh, you have the amplified. Who repeats or harps. That must be the newer version. Who harps. NLT. Love prospers when a fault is forgiven, but dwelling on it. And this is where we hurt ourselves. Dwelling on it. Dwelling on the offense. A fault. Dwelling on it separates close friends. So we'll conclude with this here in a minute. The first way we can begin to get the victory over offense is to tell it to shut up on our replay. 
tell it, shut up. You and I, we all, we've all done it. You keep revisiting the offense. You keep revisiting the event. With my case in Seattle, I would revisit the time in the tent and it would just boil over again. And then I would learn jujitsu and I would add to it. When you keep revisiting and dwelling on a matter, it's going to take the place of love and forgiveness. And that's why you have to say, shut up, mind. We've already talked about it. We've addressed it. They've apologized. There's nothing more to do here. What do you want? You can't get blood out of a turnip. Move on, mind. Move on, mind. Why am I still talking about this? Why are we pulling people into this? Why am I like a vortex of unforgiveness? And I got to, did you know what Josh Roberts did to me? Nick, have I told you what Josh Roberts, Steve-O, did I tell you what Josh Roberts? Marlon, what would you think about this? Have I told you what Josh Roberts did to me? Do you even know who Josh Roberts is? Doesn't matter. Let me tell you what this guy did to me. <laughs> Hashtag stop Josh Roberts. Somebody in Mogadishu. I don't know who this Josh Roberts is, but what a jerk. Like... <laughs> He who dwells on it, dwelling on it, dwelling on the fault, separates close friends. So we've been taught to renew our mind. We've been taught to cast down vain imaginations. If they said, I'm sorry, guess what? I forgive you. I forgive you. And if you're the one having to say, I'm sorry, you should probably evaluate the scenario so you don't do it again. But most good-hearted people will say, I really hurt them so bad. I don't ever want to be that way. Maybe they'll ask you, what? What do you think I could do better next time? Let them be the one to initiate the learning. Forgiveness doesn't require us to educate anybody. That's vengeance. That's vindictive. That's control. I forgive you. Honestly, I don't want to teach you nothing. I don't even want to see you right now, but I forgive you and I'm going to go my way and work with my God. But please, you and I know if we dwell on it, it just makes us hurt it just make, or angry or just makes us murderous or just makes us vindictive. So what I want you to see, when you dwell on it, you'll separate friends. That's why we said the memory, you can tell you've got forgiveness that when you do think about it, the memory no longer elicits emotions of hurt or vengeance or betrayal. You're like, oh, I do remember that time Josh did this. I remember that time Steve-O did this. I remember that time James Jr. did this. Oh, yeah, he was quick to repent. I was hurt for a little bit. I got over it. He got over it. We love each other. Who cares? You can tell you've truly forgiven when you can talk about it and you end up finding your fault in it. I could have handled that so much better. I should have dropped the charges. Oh, man, I don't even want to talk about it. Why? Because I, I was the moron in that. They were so quick to forgive or repent. They were so quick to apologize. I'm the one stewing on it. <sighs> You can tell you've forgiven that when you think about it, there's no resentment. There's no hurt. It's just a memory. And you can tell forgiveness has kicked in because it's just like an event you're reading about in history that you have no skin in the game. You're like, really? Khmer Rouge did that to Laos? Wow. Don't even know where that is or who that is. Stinks, though. You can tell you've forgiven when you review the event and there's no emotional pull anymore. That's a true metric of forgiveness. All right, we got more to teach on this. I think that's sufficient for now. Have you learned anything? Is it challenging you? If we can't forgive our spouse, our children, our parents, if we can't forgive one another in the local church, if you can't forgive the elders, your pastor, if you can't forgive the department heads, what will you do when the world purposely comes for you? And I want us to know, maybe next week we'll talk about the benefits of forgiveness, what it does for us, so that maybe that'll be the carrot 
that we can put in front of our lives to say, I'm going to forgive, I'm going to forgive, I'm going to forgive. It'll be some review, but I want us to know these things so that we can walk in true love and our prayers can be unhindered and we don't have to be bound to somebody who hates us. The last thing I'd want to be is bound to somebody who intentionally hates me and is working to get me. I want to win that, people to, that person to Jesus. Amen.